Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Vayera, Standing Up and Becoming a Blessing. So as you know, this is my 40th year in the rabbinate. It's a time to kind of look back and reflect for me. It's um, been doing a lot of that. And I was thinking about something that I did years ago, which um, I'm sort of stunned by. I'm sure you look back at the, some brazen thing that you did at one point in time that, I don't know, would you do it today? Yeah, stupid is usually the term, not brazen in my case. Okay, well, I'm sure that's not true. But um, <laughs> in my case, in my case, the Chicago Tribune had been exceptionally hard on Israel in the uh, early 80s. And there was a editorial cartoon. It had to do with Sharon, Ariel Sharon, and it was just blatantly anti-Semitic. It was ugly. It was anti-Semitic. And there was a piece in the paper that was ugly. And again, there was very little outcry. And I put a note out. I gave a sermon on this. And I invited anyone who wanted to join me to stand in front of the Chicago Tribune building for a protest. Just, that's what we're going to do. And I went out and I stood with a kind of a, a megaphone, you know, shouting. And people showed up actually from the synagogue. And I guess the word got around and I, I don't know, maybe there were 50 to 100 people there. You know, in the Sun-Times, of course, the uh, picked up the story, and they interviewed me. And uh, not long after that, I got a call from the Tribune asking me to meet with their editorial board. And I brought some people to the Federation. And at the end, the result of that whole thing was is that the Tribune began to soften its stance on Israel. And I opened up a channel uh, with the established Jewish community to at least discuss some of these things. And I felt like this was a, uh, a job well done back in the day. That's pretty impressive that you got results and that they seemed to listen as opposed to canceling your subscription or making sure that your newspaper showed up uh, you know, wet every day. <laughs> I, uh, I have a feeling that they didn't like the idea of a rabbi, a clergyman standing out in front of their building. So I think it was the title rabbi, not the Michael Siegel part, that held sway with them. You know, I look back, and there are all kinds of risks with that, risks within the congregation. Do I want a rabbi who's going to be out there doing these kinds of things? And yet, I'm, I look back with a, with a degree of pride that I stood up. I think that you know, I said what I wanted to say, what I felt like I needed to say. And I felt like this was a sign of leadership on my part. I look back and I think, well, would I do it that way today? I think I would, but I think it's an important story because I think that this applies to our portion as well. But let me, before I get there, are there moments in your life where you feel like you've taken those kinds of stands where there, you could have lost something along the way? Um, yeah, sure. And, and you know, I, I want to first of all raise the question of whether this is um this kind of confidence, this kind of swagger comes from youth, because uh, I'm thinking of an incident in my own life when I was too young to think about the consequences, or maybe when you're young, you don't have as much invested and you don't care whether you, you know, 
break a few eggs along the way or, um, you know, um, make a few enemies that it's worth it. As you become older and more established, maybe you become more conservative and, and less likely to take those risks. I also think there's this great history of clergymen and women standing up because they are vested with some moral authority. And perhaps, you know, as you, as you noted, you're more likely to get a response. Also, you know, clergymen are less likely to be fired from their jobs for, for standing up and, and standing out. But yeah, I can think of incidents where I, I, I stood up. I remember one when I was in high school that was similar to yours in that the no- local newspaper had called my um, high school a jungle because there had been some fights between black and white students. And I wrote to the paper complaining um, and calling the writer, you know, ignorant, saying he'd never even visited the school. And if he visited the school, he would see what it was like. And they published it. It's probably the first time that I had my name in the paper. That took guts. That took a lot of guts, actually. I guess so. I didn't think about it at the time. How did your parents react to that? I think they encouraged me all the way to uh, to, to write it. You know, my mom was kind of a, a local activist and was often picketing in front of schools and things when, when mostly around the school district, like when they were shutting down a school that actually my elementary school was being shut down to consolidate into another one. She was out there with signs, you know, protesting in front of the, the school board, the school headquarters. And so that I think made a big impression on me as a, as a kid. Yeah. I, as you were talking, I was, I was wondering to myself, one of the differences today is social media and would I have thought about the effect of social media and how someone might construe my actions as, you know, a kind of a Zionist who's trying to whitewash the sins of Israel, however you wanted to say it. What was the downside in the when I when I stood in front of the Tribune in the late 80s? And what would be the downside today? And I think that social media makes people think twice. I'd like to believe that I would do the same thing today. I think I would. I do think that social media does make a difference, especially the kind of virulent things that can happen through social media. I think that does go through people's minds as it should. Yeah, everything's amplified now so that if you make that decision, even just to attend a protest, maybe because you just want to hear the speakers and you're, you know, you want to learn more about the issue. Well, suddenly, you know, you're going to be captured on film on your, your picture might be tweeted and you know, when you apply for a job, it'll come up in the Google search that you attended this protest. So the, the echoes, the reverberations are greater today because everything is amplified by social media for sure. And if you say one thing wrong or if you're in the heat of the moment, you get a little carried away and say something you might regret. Well, it's out there forever for everybody to hear now. Well, I think I think younger people are much more sensitive to this issue. I was I heard a story recently where young people um, go, Jewish kids on college campuses might go to a Shabbat dinner, but they don't want to put their name down because they don't want other people to uh, associate them with an organization that supports Israel. So they'll go to the Shabbat dinner, but they don't want to sign up online because they're afraid that someone yeah. will use that. The reason I mention that is because, you know, the stakes are higher in many ways in in this kind of really mean-spirited social media world that we live in. Yeah, although something tells me the stakes were pretty high um, in the in the Torah that, <laughs> portion that you haven't cited yet, but I know you're going to. Okay, this is a first. <laughs> the Come first on, you, first. Got, you got... Okay, here we are. Waiting so, waiting. I know there's got to be a okay. connection here. So God says, I'm going to 
you know, go forth and I'm going to give you a land and you're going to be a blessing. And those who bless you um, will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed and all of that. But there's one line in there that is just stunning amongst a number of stunning lines. It says, and be a blessing. Abraham, be a ble Avram, as he was known then, be a blessing. It's a beautiful statement. And the question is, what does that mean? What, do you, what does it mean to be a blessing? And I always say that when the Torah raises up a question like that, if you pay attention to what follows, the question is going to be answered. What the Torah is meaning is, be a blessing for the world. That's what I think God is asking Abraham to do. You'll get all this from me, but here's what I want from you. I want you to be a blessing. And so in this week's portion, the following portion of Vayera, the portion begins... God sending three angels to Abraham and Sarah, and she has a child at an old age. And so that promise is fulfilled. But along the way, God shares with him that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the evil of those places. And Abraham could have said, okay, well, I guess you know best, right? But Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham stands up and challenges God. He says, will the judge of the whole world judge, would not judge justly? Right. In other words, God, are you going to be a bad judge? And then he says to God, well, if there are 50 good people in that city, are you going to destroy it? And God says, no, I won't for 50. I won't destroy it. And God, Abraham shows himself to be a master negotiator and it gets down to 10. And 10, for 10 people... God will not destroy the land. Now, clearly, Abraham can't find those 10 people, and the cities are ultimately destroyed, etc. But what the key is, is that Abraham becomes a blessing when he's willing to stand up and take risks for the greater good because of what he believes in. And I think that that's a great statement about Abraham, and I also think it is what it means to be a blessing then in the world, but what it means to be a blessing today. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, be a blessing. It's a verb. It's active, right? It's it's in what you do, not what you say or how you feel. And uh, that's kind of what we were talking about in the earlier portion of this conversation. Um, you know, do you put your boots on the ground? Do you march for what you believe in? Do you stand in front of the newspaper office with a megaphone? Do you preach and get out and march at the same time? Or do you just sort of... Uh, tweet and, and let it go at that, right? You know, I think there's a big difference between feeling something and, and doing something. It's interesting that you, that you talked about the active form of blessing and a passive form of blessing, right? Like, we bless our children, which is we say the words, we place our hands on their shoulders, and we bless them on a Friday night. But what does it mean for a parent to be a blessing to a child? That's, a, that's an interesting question. What does it actually mean to be an active blessing in the world? That is what Abraham, at least in this instance, is going to become. And I think that's how the Torah answers the question. Somebody, somebody once said that 90% of success in life is showing up. And I think that uh, that's part of the active part of being a blessing, I think, is showing up. But people are more and more reticent to show up. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. The rabbis are going to make negative comparisons between Noah and Abraham, right? Noah, Noah is the most righteous person in his age. That's maybe a backhanded compliment to, to Noah. 
you know, of, of all the people living in that time, he was the best that God could find. And he shows that he's a pretty, he's, he's listening to God. He's doing what Adam doesn't do. He listens. God says, build an ark. He builds an ark. Take the animals in two by two, does all of that. This is a really, really significant act on his part. But the thing that the rabbis pick up on is that Abraham, is that Noah never, never says to God, what are you doing? There's got to be good people out here. Let me take some of those on board too, right? Let me go search. Let me warn people. Let me tell people that if you don't make tshuva, if you don't repent, if you don't change your ways, that God's going to flood the world. Let me do something. He's totally silent. So he does what God says, somewhat as an automaton, but he doesn't raise his voice for other people. He And so in the end of the day, he himself does what God asks, but he's not a blessing to the world in the larger sense. Interesting. So maybe this contradicts what I said earlier, that showing up is, is, is the most important thing because Noah shows up, but he's also not thinking, um, he's not challenging himself. He's not challenging um, what he's told to do. And sometimes I guess you have to ask more questions in addition to showing up. And we have to take the risk. You have to, you have to challenge. And part of challenging God is the Jewish approach to that. To say, will not the judge of the whole world judge justly? That's a very powerful statement that, that Noah doesn't say. I, I want to take us into a more contemporary direction. You know, we've lived through COVID, or the society has lived through COVID. Unfortunately, many, many people have died. Our, but we, we are, you know, as a society on the other end, it appears, of COVID. But it has affected us. Right? Are people willing to go outside of themselves? We've been living in our own homes for a long time amongst a smaller group around us. How far do we want to go forward? So I guess let me crystallize the question this way. Is our society one that Noah would feel more comfortable in or or Abraham? Wow, that's a good question. I would say that perhaps COVID has drawn us closer to... Uh to Noah, I feel like I have to be cynical about it. We could have all come together and said that the stronger we stick together, the, the better we'll come out of this. But it seems like we've become more selfish and isolated and just thinking about ourselves and how do I get through this uh, as opposed to how do we get through this? And I hate to say it, but that's my gut reaction to your to your challenge. Well, I think I think I think that that it feels that way. It, it does feel that way, and I I'm with you. I would say that we are trending towards Noah. And I'm not sure that that's ultimately that that ultimately that's what God is going to want from us. Or better put, how can we be a blessing? That's the question. And, and blessings always begin not only with our families and ourselves, but to be a blessing means to go beyond that and to be a blessing for someone else outside of your most intimate sphere. How can we do that? How can we follow the example of Abraham? That's, uh, I think, the challenge of the day. It's a big challenge, um, and uh, it's, I'm glad you're, you're pushing me to think about it more. Well, thank you. Thanks, Rabbi.